Leaders, the podcast where we explore the challenges, successes, and lessons of leadership through the experience of women leaders across Africa and beyond. I'm your host, Paula Frey, and in this episode, we're going to be exploring the challenges and solutions to encouraging more African women in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Our guest, Dr. Zamambo Makize, is a leading gender researcher. She has a PhD in gender studies with a doctoral thesis that focused on modern polygamy, um, African family, Zulu culture, and African feminism. She lectures in gender studies at the African Gender Institute at the University of Cape Town, South Africa. Her current research involves Black women in high-stakes degrees of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, or STEM. And she published her first book, titled Polygamy and Gender, in September 2021. So welcome, Dr. Makize. Thank you so much, Paula. You have a fascinating career path, right? I mean, you started out with qualifications in criminal justice before shifting to gender studies. Can you tell us about your journey and what led to that shift? Oh, wow, Paula, is this a three-hour podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, um, I was never, ever supposed to be an academic. Uh, I think in an alternate universe, I would have been an an advocate championing Mm -hmm. human rights. So after um, a very serendipitous uh, module, I was forced to take gender studies in my honors year. So, and here I am now as an an African feminist and an academic. So it was actually during my time at Florida University, when I was there on a full-time tennis scholarship, I realized, you know what? I don't want to be an advocate. I want to do something more meaningful. I didn't know what that meaningful was, but I knew it was was not in the law books. So it was only after the honors year that it became clear to me. um, And also during my time as a Fulbright scholar, in Pennsylvania during my PhD where I I sort of kind of solidified what I wanted to do. So my research focus um, during my PhD was on modern uh, polygyny, uh, law, family, Zulu culture, and African feminism. And as you said, I I published my first book uh, last year on polygyny and gender. But then it was actually during my time as a postdoctoral fellow in the Center for Critical Research on Race and Identity, where uh, I shifted focus, where I focused more on Black women in the academy, as well as, as, as in high stakes degrees, uh, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, STEM, in which my research is now focused. And the reason why I shifted is because my sister is doing her uh, PhD in microbiology. So I really wanted to know what type of environment um, she'll soon call her workplace. So then it was, um, so then I moved after my postdoctoral uh, fellowship ended, I went to University of Cape Town, and this is where I am now. And there I actually just finished a two year sabbatical, where I researched why African female doctoral students in STEM disciplines are not entering academic fields and transforming higher education when their very presence is transformative. Mm. And there's such a lack of role models in these fields because they're still white male dominated, even mm. almost 30 years into our democracy, still hasn't changed. So, yeah, that's my journey so mm. far. <laughs> what did you find? I mean, what is what is the environment your sister is going to go into? Oh, my goodness. So what I found was it's it's tough. I mean, we 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 know that there's still a lot of um racism and sexism and xenophobia and classism uh, happening in these in these fields. But what I, I 
what I focused on, because I focused on African PhD students uh, in six of the top five universities in South Africa, and they have found that actually what is occurring, they're saying is transformation, but it's actually reform. So when these institutions came, look, actually we have black people. Oh, we even have black women. So actually we transformed. When actually, no, 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 that's not happening. It's What's happening is reform. It's not transformation. It's just mm-hmm. demographic change, but the environment is still the same. So, I mean, going in, I knew, of course, of some of the horrors women faced, but they were worse than I could ever imagine. I mean, African women face mm-hmm. oppression from everyone, uh, all genders, all races, even African men as well, because of the patriarchy. And there are still these lingering colonial mentalities that exist in these spaces mm-hmm. of higher education that still believe that African people, especially African women, are unintelligent and they treat them as infants, as laborers, domestic workers, mm-hmm. and they have nothing substantially, um, intellectually substantial to offer to the STEM uh, knowledge economy. So to think that, um, you know, now I know of sort of the, the violence and, and trauma and shocking experiences of racism, sexism, classism, xenophobia, all the isms you can think of. Mm-hmm. Um, but these women still enter these STEM disciplines and, and they do so for very noble reasons. I mean, they mm-hmm. want to, the big thing was I want to find African solutions to African problems. Mm-hmm. And I had a webinar last year on African women in STEM in universities in South Africa where I invited guests in all these fields from PhDs, students to postdocs to professors to discuss the state of STEM in African women in South Africa. It was such an interesting event to hear these phenomenal women in chemical engineering, mathematics, all the sciences speak about their struggles in acquiring doctorates in STEM. And then even after attaining these PhDs, they still have to continually prove their intelligence and competence that they belong in these Mm. these fields. And this is what my um, paper uh, was about as well as in that, you know, African women in these fields are hyper visible, but also invisible at the same time. So Mm. they're visible because they're the only black people in a white male dominated field. Mm. And then, if they make a mistake, it's the slightest mistake, it's, um, you know, blown out mm. of proportion and it, it feeds into this narrative that you see these people don't belong in these spaces. So they're mm. heavily criticized and, and scrutinized and policed more mm. than any other um, race and gender. And of course, yeah. we have the this belief that, you know, African people are in these spaces because of affirmative action, but actually it's actually mm. been proven that white women are the biggest beneficiaries of affirmative action, but people are not ready for that conversation yet. Yeah. So another point would I also hope that readers take away from my work is that the, the paper um, is about conscious raising, you know, in that we, universities are spaces where you think people are enlightened. They wouldn't be racist or sexist yeah. because they're educated. But actually people, especially the staff, they need to, I don't know, have workshops or, or whatever it is where they are, you know, they, they told about or they come to grips with their own prejudices and mm. sexist, sexist tendencies, especially in STEM. Mm. And that, um, and also women too. I mean, yes, of course, we always think of sexism as something men do to women, but it's also something women do to other women. So... Yeah, so it's, it's very interesting. It's it's so fascinating. You know, I, I was just about to say to you that you know you expect some of these conversations to happen in business. You expect mm. othering. You expect exceptionalism. You expect mm. um, um, tokenism or just um, you, you know um, um, to, to be happening in business. But when it comes mm. to academia, you really do think that this is an, an enlightened environment. These are people, right, who are studying these things as you mm. speak, and and as you note in your paper, right. I mean. One of 12 critical areas um, for change that the Beijing Platform for Action actually highlighted 
is the need for women to participate in science, technology, and engineering and mathematics. So what do we do, though? I mean, what, you, you know, I think the problem, I think probably reading your paper feels like it's bigger um, um, than we thought. The, the underrepresentation of African women is, is stark, um, so, um, and 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 you yourself note right that it's a really it's an intersectional oppression, mm. right? I mean, it's not mm. it, you really. I, I imagine we need to be able to tackle it simultaneously. So, so what do we do? How do we mm. take what you've learned and actually do something about it? I think one of the things I mentioned in the paper, like I said, is that we have to, universities, even STEM departments, they have to have sessions with uh, professors and lecturers. And we have this uncomfortable conversation where people, like I said, they, they consciousness is raised and they are honest about their prejudices and sexist tendencies. I know it's going to be difficult and people are going to be in denial and believe certain things like they're not racist or they're not sexist. But if we don't have these conversations and it's going to be uncomfortable these kind of conversations are uncomfortable but for for progress to happen we need to do it because other than that it's nothing's going to change right um things are just going to keep happening the same way that they are but i also think we need and one of the solutions i also think we need african women in stem there needs to be a sort of um trend on social media in a way i think we need to raise the profile of women in these fields because uh, and also educate people in general especially african people that you know stem is a viable career option yes it's going to be um these are the careers available and trend and make it something that's something cool and people want to go into because i've i found in my research that students go in undergrad and there are a lot of them and then um they get to honors they're about 57 students in honors and then by the time we get to masters they are three and PhD one, likely if one African uh, female moving in. And I think it's because of the, the stages, many things happen in between that stuff. One of, the, one of the things are because as Africans, there's a lot of black tax, for example. So these degrees require time, dedication, sacrifices. That's going to take years. It's not just going to be one degree and then you go off to work. No, if you want to become a doctor in science, you have to you know, be in school for six years and be a doctor. And people need to understand that it's going to take time before you go in and go, can, can, can go out and work and be able to provide for your family. And I think that's one of the things that we need to do. And I also think more research needs to be done around the environment. I don't know if you know, but in last year, well, actually June 2020, there was a hashtag shutdown STEM that happened uh, globally where black STEM professionals down their tools and demanded transformation reform in the STEM environments and highlighted how untransformed STEM spaces remain globally. So these movements are good, but it's not only um, to inform our people of what's really going on in these spaces, but also um, that, that claim, especially the spaces that claim to be colorblind and neutral and expose mm. them for what they really are. Because that's one thing with STEM is that we are colorblind, we are neutral. You will only succeed based on your own intellectual um, ability, right? Mm. It's, not, it's, not these inter, it's not these intersectional identities. You either succeed because you're smart enough to get it or you fail because you just don't get it. And they, they, But there are a lot of invisible layers and obstacles that African students in general face and specifically African women as well. So it's sort of like um, the hashtag fees must fall in that it was a watershed moment for us here in South Africa. And I think STEM, hashtag shutdown STEM sort of started that as well. And I hope it, it, it continues and ripples down to us because something like that needs to happen for these spaces to really change. 
Did the women in your um, study cohort find comfort um, um, in the group? Did they find comfort from other women in STEM? So what I found very interesting, the women in my cohort, um, we had individual conversations and then we had sort of focus groups. So that's when they all came together. So the individual conversations, most, uh, they, they would tell me that they felt it was very therapeutic for them because mm-hmm. to them, it was, they've never had someone come and ask them about the experiences. And then they were able to sort of just let go and tell me everything. And yet, and for me to sort of, um, tell them the experience of valid and that no it was not in your head this sort of happened and they said they never had that type of of experience so when they came together as a collective it was something else (laughs) they were so happy to be in a group of people who looked like them, who have the same experiences, sort of validate the experience that, no, you weren't crazy. This also happened to me in chemical engineering. And it was sort of like, oh, okay, so this is real. It's not something in my head because that's also one thing about racism, right? It's sort of to make you think that, no, this is something you imagine. It's that experience where they could be all together, the experiences, their struggles and offer advice to each other, how they overcame certain struggles and also validate the experiences as, for example, people would talk about what happened to them and they'd be like, but that also happened to me in, in chemical engineering. Be like, oh, okay, so it's, it's not in my head. I'm not crazy. This really is something that is a thing that happens in this environment. So they found it as, as something that was a very positive experience for them and very, it really helped in, in terms of um, emotionally and psychologically uh, as a relief that, okay, these things happen, they've happened to other people, so I'm not the only one. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, Summer, you know, I'm mindful of the um, um, of the systemic nature of the challenges that we have to deal with, um, and, I, and I wonder if you could perhaps share from, from your studies but also from your own experience what advice you would give the individual um, and women apart from them actually going ahead and entering STEM once they were there, what would, what advice would you give them? So I think for me, the advice that I'd give them is if for, for women who want to enter STEM, I would say, first of all, do your own research. I mean, we are now living in a world where everything is on our phones. So research STEM field that you want to in, enter into and find women who are there that you can have conversations with. Um, perhaps reach out to them and see if you get a response and talk to them. Because I also think it's important that um, if you can find someone you can talk to about the field and be interested because they then can share their experiences, right? Because I'm also a firm believer that um, these types of experiences and stories need to be told. So when girls and women enter um, into these spaces, they are prepared. So they know that they may be the invisible barriers that are already there. So it could, for example, the racism you'll face, the sexism, the classism. And I think it's important that the students are told because then if they face these challenges, psychologically and emotionally they'll be prepared and the pain won't be as devastating as if they didn't know that they they we they believe we live in a democracy and there's no so there's no such thing as racism and sexism anymore but when they they fully prepared that this this might happen so if it does happen it's not such a big uh shock for them i think that's a very important part because i think we underestimate that um a lot maybe as africans we don't really talk about you know psychological issues and and emotional well-being but i think it's important that people know about this so they are adequately prepared. 
And I also think um, that one most important thing I would tell a young African girl or woman is that you are enough. You are smart enough. You absolutely deserve and belong to be in the spaces and that they really should not allow anyone to get into the head or even doubt that fact. And I know it's easier said than done, especially if you go into a space day in and day out that does not see you, that um, does not appreciate you, does not appreciate your intellect and what you have to bring. So it, it's about really being strong of character and believing that you are capable and, and intellectually um belong there you are smart enough and belong in these spaces so I think that's what I tell them always outspoken you know what were you like as a young person oh wow um I think I've always been a feminist I just didn't know it uh, I think, I think, yeah, I think I've always been a feminist because I always ask these questions. Like I, I'd said when I was younger, I'd always like, why is it men do certain things? And I can't do certain things. And my mom can't do certain things. So I, I maybe at that time I couldn't really articulate it because maybe mm-hmm. I was more of equality as like, I don't understand why we're not the same. Culture says we're not the same. So I think as I got older and I got into academia, I I learned a lot more about feminism in general. And then I realized, no, actually, uh, yes, of course, I'm a feminist. That's great. Uh, But I am also an African feminist, which is something that is very distinct to uh, Mm -hmm. our understanding of, of feminism in general. I think. Yeah. And and what do you what do you think people misunderstand about African feminism? I think people always confuse feminism uh in general, as women hating men, right? As wanting to take over and end patriarchy and the woman now rule the men. Whereas I think feminism at its core is about equality. To me, I always find it very strange when some men and women proudly and boldly state, I am not a feminist. So my follow-up to that is always like, oh, okay, so you do not believe in the social, political, and economic equality of the genders. Got it. So you're very much okay with every and all inequality and inequity in this world. So that is feminism. Now, African feminism is what I call myself because it's more than just I am an African woman and I reside on an African continent. African feminism is is very broad and there are many different types. I cannot possibly name them all, but what I can say is how African feminism differs to how Western feminism has historically worked is that African feminism does not view the African men as the enemy. African feminism understands that African men were victims of colonization, imperialism, and patriarchy, as we all are. So African culture was never this rigid patriarchy we forced to follow and made to believe it's ours. Colonization actually shifted, reorientated, and really polluted our familial and social systems drastically. And it's only now we are discovering through research how bad it really was. So an African feminist is someone who takes pride in being African, understands that in order for genders to live in harmony, we must negotiate. And as Africans, we are raised to always think that, to think about the collective good, not so much the individual, uh, individualistic notions of demanding something for your own individual benefit. And another uh, component of African feminism is someone who respects their traditional cultural practices and works hard to eliminate the harmful ones. So you can literally reside anywhere in the world and, and be an African feminist. Okay, so um, just in terms of your voice, I mean, you 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 know, you're outspoken, you're you 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 true to yourself in many ways. Mm. This podcast talks about voice. How did you find your own voice? How did you amplify it? 
I think for me, the work I do was my voice. I think I really started finding my voice after my master's. When I did my master's research, I realized this work, this dissertation is my voice. This is me. So I remember there was a participant uh, who said to me at the end of my African Women in STEM project that, Zama, you know, you're doing God's work. Uh, I was, and, uh, and I'm still shocked and incredibly humbled that she phrased it that way. So to me, that comment, although nice, added a bit of pressure in how I represent my, my work because that is my voice. And that is something that's been at the forefront of my mind, especially tackling issues around African women in STEM. So my research is my voice. So to tell these women's stories, which I hope will be heard by relevant government um, stakeholders, universities, and, and so they'll be able to take these stories and, and really work with them and know about these environment and have very targeted uh, specific um, strategies for transforming these very untransformed STEM fields. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. And we'll be looking out for that research. I, I, I think it's an important um, research to be doing and be very interested in your findings. We've actually come to the end of today's session. It's been such an interesting discussion. Um, thank you to our guest, Dr. Zamambo Makize, um, and for actually sharing with us her research and her thoughts on African women in STEM. Um, we, we thank you also, the listener, for listening to Change Voices. Um, remember to rate the podcast on your favorite platform and to share it with other leaders. And, and join us next time as we continue to explore the technology um, ecosystem and the leadership challenges and opportunities it presents. Dr. Bikise, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much.